This is a presentation of Patterson Media. Amplify Canada is an initiative created by Patterson Media. It's designed to celebrate and elevate small businesses, the backbone of our economy. Thousands of small businesses, groups, family organizations, and individuals are showcased on Patterson Media radio stations from Winnipeg to Vancouver throughout the year. Every month, we go deeper and share the incredible journey of a few that have made an impact on their community. Now, some have flourished and others may need a little extra love and support. These are their stories. Welcome to Amplify Canada, Season 2. In each episode, we highlight local musicians. This time, it's a Canadian Music Hall of Fame inductee and country music legend. She'll join us at the end of the show. In this episode, we explore the world of fitness. We basically had to like reinvent how we ran our business like starting from scratch again. That's Jonathan Hamilton from Romper Room Indoor Rock Climbing Center in Nanaimo, British Columbia. For almost 20 years, they've been making exercise fun. I didn't want it to be a case where all the restrictions are lifted, but there's no businesses or communities to return to. That's Sam Dalupang. He's the owner of Nine Round Kickboxing in Leduc, Alberta. He tells the story of how he worked to keep his community going and how they're still recovering from the pandemic. I just am so happy that we're back and we're training in gyms and doing these classes together. So let's never go backwards again. That's fitness trainer and author Andy Dumas. Andy will join us to talk about the industry and where we go from here. Hi there, I'm Linda Freeman, your host for Amplify Canada. In this episode, we explore the importance of fitness in the community and the struggles to get back on track. This country is built on small businesses. Let's listen to the stories of how staying active can push our limits and connect communities. We know that the pandemic took an outsized toll on public health and a far-reaching impact on all business sectors, especially the fitness industry. Government mandates, social distancing, remote work, and pretty much contactless everything led to a $15 billion loss in revenue for clubs and fitness studios in the U.S. alone last year. And that was according to a recent report from the Global Health and Fitness Association. Now, due to the nature of any fitness facility, it's no surprise that there were lengthy closures. While many businesses faced difficulties during the pandemic, gyms were feeling the pain after being closed for more than 400 days. Fitness clubs have been steadily filling back up over the past year. Memberships have not returned at pre-pandemic levels, but they're getting closer. The industry is hoping people who have been working out at home return to the gym. A question many fitness professionals think about is will people return fitness centers to pre-pandemic levels? 50% of consumers from one survey said their at-home workouts were not intense enough, less consistent, and that they struggled to find motivation. 95% of pre-pandemic fitness club members reported missing at least one element of working out at the gym. More than 60% surveyed who exercise regularly say they will likely prefer a mix of working out at a gym or studio 
and at home in the future. In the last four or five months, we have seen a significant uptick in Canadians coming back into fitness facilities. So we head first to Leduc, Alberta, located just south of Edmonton, and some would say a growing dynamic city in the heart of Canada's economic engine. It is also home to nine-round kickboxing. Owner Sam Dalyapang is still feeling the effects of the pandemic, so that's where I want to start the journey with you, Sam. You were nominated for Amplify Canada because of everything you did to support your community during the pandemic. So can you take us back to that time? Sure. Thanks for having me. Just like every other gym, we were forced to shut down. We actually had to stay closed the entire 18 months. And you decided to use that time to help others. Yeah. So I basically took all the hand sanitizer that we had at the club. I tried to disperse them into bottles and then just distribute them across the community. Next thing was grocery runs. So everybody's staying at home. I volunteered my time to do grocery runs for everybody. So I'd spend days back and forth at the grocery store and doing deliveries that way. Then it shifted into giving every restaurant in town an opportunity to shine. So every single day I would announce a restaurant that we'd support. I would tell all our social media followers to go to that one particular restaurant. And the whole goal was to try to cover all their overhead that they were still paying for the month. And then with that, just fun ideas. If a restaurant didn't really have much staff to handle capacity, I had volunteers to help out in the restaurant and do free deliveries. I volunteered at quarters myself to cut strawberries for an entire evening. So that was an experience. You also wanted to have fun and lighten up the heaviness of the pandemic. It seems it was a balance of supporting local businesses and giving the community something to look forward to. What else did you do? We did food challenges. I was trying to provide some sort of like positive entertainment, provide exposure to places that were still open, provide income for those businesses and provide entertainment because at the time everybody's stuck at home and everybody's on social media and all you can really find at the time was just like depressing news. We would also do food competitions. So I would just randomly come up with a competition. So like with one place, I made up an idea of doing a pizza pyramid. It was a medium pizza stacked on top of a large pizza stacked on top of an extra large pizza. And we live streamed that on Facebook. So that was fun. Nobody finished the pizza because it was just massive. I was cleaning the club because I had nothing to do. I found cash in our cash box, which I never realized we had. And I think it was like $700 worth of cash. It was during Christmas time. So I went over to a local toy store. I live streamed it. This was like a spontaneous idea. My wife didn't know I was going to do it. The store didn't know I was going to do it. Got my wife to like just start recording and nobody knew what I was going to do. And then I grabbed the owner and then live on Facebook. I didn't really give her a choice. I just told her that I was going to take over her store and it was going to be like a Christmas discount where everything in the store was 50% off. And the reason why was because I was going to pay for it. So that was like a fun two, three hours. Love it, Sam. Now, how did your wife react? She just accepted it. So yeah. If I can just give my wife a shout out, thank you. So just a lot of ideas like that. Basically trying to keep everybody in the community positive because at the end of the day, the way I look at it was basically I wanted to make sure that everybody's sanity was still there when COVID was over and making sure that all the small businesses were still here. I didn't want it to be a case where all the restrictions are lifted, but there's no businesses or community to return to. So it was my attempt at being preventative and just make sure that the community was still the same. 
And would you say that you were supported well in all of this? When people wanted to help us and when people wanted to say thank you, I would just tell people the best way of saying thanks is just to use us as an example and just do the same for everybody else. And even when I was helping the restaurants, they would offer me free food and I would just be like, no, 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 I'm paying for it. That defeats the purpose of what I'm trying to do if you're just going to give it to me free, right? I'm trying to help you. So you let me pay for the food. The communities, they've helped us as much as they could in terms of like how much help I would accept and appreciate, but really it wasn't the intention. I'm not asking for anything in return. The only thing I'm really asking for in return is just don't make my efforts of trying to make the Duke a safe and wonderful community to live in, being vain. And that's exactly what Amplify is about. People like you, small business owners who hit tough times but still went out and helped the community. Now, once the restrictions were lifted, how did you recover from that? You were closed for almost two years. It set us back. It's only been within like the last couple of months that financially the club has been on a healthy track. During all of COVID, basically we spent all of our financial resources just to support the community and just make sure that there was a future for Lydie. So just like any other business, we've been spending the last couple of years recovering. I'm sure any fitness club owner out there right now that's listening to this, they know what I'm talking about. Up until this day, we're all still recovering. And that's why these stories are so important, Sam. Even though for many people, the pandemic is in the past, for business owners like you, the recovery is ongoing. And what are your plans going forward? Just like any place, just trying to wrap members back up so that we're not only paying back our debts from COVID, but being healthy and profitable and hopefully be able to go on vacation again. Not much to ask for, Sam, and you and your wife deserve that. Hopefully, whoever's listening to this can take an example from you. Thank you for everything you did to support your community and all the best. I appreciate you wanted to have a chat. From a kickboxing gym to a boxing guru, Andy Dumas is an author, TV host and producer, documentary filmmaker, and co-author of several best-selling fitness books. He's been featured in many magazines, including Men's Health, and he's the resident fitness expert on the TV show Real Life with Sharon Caddy. Welcome, Andy. How did this all start? Basically, I'd say my interest in fitness started with my father, who was a professional boxer. And, you know, a lot of times athletes in their later years let themselves go a little bit. If they've trained really hard, they're kind of done with the training. And my dad kept so incredibly fit even into his 70s. So he certainly passed down the love of boxing and the love of fitness and taking care of yourself. My brother and I, when we came along, my dad had been long done. His career was over. He was in his 50s when I came along. But so incredibly fit. So I think that that was passed down to me, the love of boxing and the love of fitness and the love of taking care of yourself and pushing yourself to the limits was certainly passed down. Which is fantastic because, of course, now so much is being talked about around how important it is to stay physically active. And the younger you start, the better off you are. What's your perspective on that? Are we seeing a good shift? I think coming out of the pandemic and just what we came out of and people dying to get back out again, because I was in a community that during the lockdowns, we couldn't even play tennis. You couldn't meet in a park. And it's like, really, we can't play outside? Let people, you know, be outside and do this kind of stuff. So I think that most people know you should be doing something. 
and whatever gets you motivated to keep moving and get out there, whether it's walking every day or you find a sport that you love or tennis or squash or pickleball, which is huge right now, keep moving. For me, the connection was boxing. And what I started to develop was fitness boxing. For people that wanted to experience training like a boxer, but didn't want to get in the ring or didn't want to get punched or any of that stuff. So keeping it authentic, keeping it fun, but removing the sparring and anything that was dangerous. So you get to do the skipping and the heavy bag and all that kind of stuff. And the key is to find something that you love and have fun. It should be fun. Well, unboxing is fun. I've done it a few times throughout my life of finding things that I could enjoy when it comes to working out. You know, people won't be able to see it, but you've got a big bag behind you. Is that just to take out any frustrations or do you actually work out at home? I do work out at home. And it's funny, if I don't hit the bag at least once a week, I get grumpy. So if you're having a bad day, you put on the gloves and go a couple rounds on the heavy bag, it releases the stress. And I've been doing it since I've been about 14. And it's my go-to workout. I cycle, I run, I play tennis, but I've got a box. I've got to hit that heavy bag, you know, a couple times a week. I love it. The pandemic hit and it changed so much for a lot of people. And it was a big hit for the fitness centers. What's your perspective on all of that in the sense of what happened during the pandemic? It was very interesting for a lot of gyms that didn't survive. It was really tough to see a lot of these smaller studios. Some didn't make it. A lot of them in the area are back again. And it was a real struggle because it was lockdown after lockdown. You know, you're just trying to get your momentum, get people's trust back. And then boom, we're locked down again. For me, I was personal training. I have a gym in my own home. I was doing some one-on-one training. Andy Dumas here at the Fitness Boxing Studio at Huron Park Recreation Center. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to take you through a fitness boxing class. Well, what is fitness boxing? So I continued some of that, obviously masked. And we'd be kind of going, okay, are we allowed to leave the house today? Okay, do you want to train? And we would continue doing that. Something very interesting happened for me during that time. I was in the middle of writing another book and everything in the publishing industry shut down for a while. Everything was on hold. And during this, a gentleman contacted me from Britain who had some of my older books. And he's a kickboxer. And we developed this crazy COVID friendship online, you know, keeping track of each other. And he was a fan of mine and he was inspired by me. Of course, he went on to have other gurus. And out of this friendship and talking and watching some of the stuff he was doing, I said, let's do a book. We could do a book together. So we took that time, even though he was in England and we never ever met in person, we wrote a book together. I dabbled in kickboxing and he's a kickboxing champion. So together we took our fitness knowledge and created this training manual for people that wanted to learn how to kickbox. And it was a challenge because under normal circumstances, we would have met and done photo shoots together and done writing together. That never happened. So we delegated the photos he needed to do out there. I did mine here. We sent stuff back and forth. So for me, it was a positive experience because we took that time to create something and put it out in the universe. And it was this book that we did together and we still haven't met yet. Well, that's got to happen. Exactly. What a cool story. And it does show the resiliency of people during the pandemic to find other paths, to find other ways of getting their name out there. Because for you, I mean, I would call you a small business owner, like as an independent entrepreneur, you're in the same boat. Everyone's just trying to survive. So you need to find different ways of managing and dealing with the pandemic. And certainly a lot of live classes that you couldn't attend went to Zoom classes, online classes. 
to keep things going because people wanted to have that connection. And that was great for the time. But there's nothing like being with a trainer or instructor live in person. Good, really use those hips. Use those hips to jump the dumbbells up. Your arms are gonna get tired. So people were craving to get back to that gym experience. Whether it was training outside somewhere in a park, like a boot camp class, or back in a studio again. And I think finally I'm seeing mostly this last year is that people are totally comfortable doing that again. And they want to be part of that fitness class experience again. So as we see kind of the resurgence of fitness locations doing different things, I mean, that's one thing I've seen a lot too, is that they're putting in climbing gyms or there's more boxing places. So as people kind of reinvent what they're going to do, how they're going to attract people to come out, what do you see in the sense of the recovery from the pandemic for the fitness industry and kind of what the future might look like? Be innovative enough to offer the type of classes that people want to try. Maybe think outside the box a little bit, whether it be at a boot camp or a CrossFit or a fitness boxing type of class or the rock climbing. So you're gonna be pushing with your legs rather than pulling with your arms. You know, even hybrid classes, I think are very, very important. So I always say, you know, you can go to a gym that has all the toys and all the treadmills, but if you don't have good instructors and good coaches, it doesn't really matter. To me, the coach, the trainer, and that experience is everything. So having these trainers that are certified, certainly, and then inspire you. When I go to a class, I wanna be inspired. And when I was teaching more, I want to go something that I could now take to my class and teach with my students. You know, Monday morning, what can I bring? What can I take from this thing? Even when I would go to fitness conferences, you know, give me something that inspires me and reminds me of why I'm teaching. So I think that's important for a lot of these gyms to survive. And do you think that we'll continue to see success in this sector in the sense of the growth and the businesses that will pop up? Do you think the pandemic stopped more people from working out or do you think we're going to see that come back again? I sure hope we see it come back again because there's a need for the tech and there's a need for the online classes. Absolutely. You know, the ability to teach people that are in other parts of the country. That's fantastic. But me, I'm old school, I'm a dinosaur. There's nothing like being with people and training live. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in the gadgets and the stuff like that. Put the phone down, put the laptop down and go be with real people and have a real workout experience, I think. That's my hope is that that continues to grow. Love your perspective. So let's just pause there. So I want to come back to you to talk about your fitness writing so that we can help maybe inspire other small businesses. But first, we head across the Strait of Georgia to the beautiful Vancouver Island. As we land in Nanaimo, British Columbia, it's a vibrant urban center on the east side of the island with a cultural and recreational focus. The city provides people with a lifestyle second to none, they say, for living, working, and playing. There's something exhilarating about climbing. And when done indoors, with support and proper equipment, it can be accessible for just about anyone. And what a fun business to have. Jonathan and Brianna Hamilton run Romper Room Indoor Rock Climbing, a business Jonathan took over almost 20 years ago. And of course, we'll get into the amazing business you built, Jonathan, but I love a good story. And I know you have one about one of your climbers. Yeah, so we held a film festival, which was the Kendall Mountain Film Festival this past January. And for listeners that don't know, that's one of the biggest outdoor mountain film festivals from Europe. There was a film that was presented this year, which was about a woman's specific climbing club that was started in the 1950s in the UK. 
And at that time, when you come to the Pinnacle Club, there's women up into their 80s, and that's just so inspiring as a young woman. In that era, women didn't climb, so this is quite a rebellious project. Long story short, is that that club is still going strong. They've attracted women of all generations. There's women in their 70s, 80s, still going strong. And this film was new to me, and it was just so inspiring and it turned out that it was really inspiring to a lot of people in the audience as well. It would be amazing and so inspiring to see women in their 70s and 80s rock climbing. Incredible. A woman in her 70s who walked through our doors one day, a little bit shy, not really sure what she wanted to do, but she'd seen that film and said, hey, if those ladies can do it, I can do it. So at age 70, deciding to take up a new sport like rock climbing is a really brave thing to do, especially if you don't have any connection into the community or entry point like that. So she came to the gym. We welcomed her open arms. We were able to connect her with a few of the other ladies that are in their 60s to 70s that climb very consistently at the gym. And it's been six months now and they're all going strong and it's just so incredible to see anybody can do this. It doesn't matter your age, what your life experience has been. You can walk through those doors, build community and take off on a new path. So old dogs can learn new tricks. <laughs> <laughs> In your nomination for Amplify Canada, it mentioned how inclusive your space is. You've created a welcoming community. Was that what you wanted from the beginning? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right off the bat, that was one of my most important mandates. The activity or sport of climbing, I don't know if I would call it a sport, but maybe it is turning into that, really helped me and saved me as a kid. It taught me all of these skills that I've been using in life. It's helped me build confidence. It's helped me build problem-solving skills. It's helped me learn how to learn. It's helped me build teamwork skills because climbing truly is a team experience because you need to have trust with your partner who's doing the safety work. Every single person that comes through the door, we want them to feel like it's home. We want them to feel like this is a safe place that they can come to regardless of what their outside life is, regardless of what their home life is. And we've really been able to do that and we feel really proud about it. To be honest, I never would have thought rock climbing as something for everyone. But your message is climbing is for everyone. Yeah, we've just really wanted to foster that. And in case you can't tell, Jonathan is really stoked on climbing and that's infectious. He really infuses that into the gym and that's something I noticed coming in is that it spreads everywhere, whoever you are. It's like his excitement for it is pretty special, I think. How about your staff? There seems to be a lot of issues around businesses retaining people. Do you create that connection, that community with them as well? That's what we've tried to foster in our staff. Those are the people we want in the gym or people that love it. And, you know, that's the thing. It's like if you walk through the door of any business where the people are there because they want to be there and they believe in it and, you know, they know the value of what they have to offer, people are going to feel it too. You know, we're not salespeople, we know that climbing and what our gym has to offer sells itself. And for me, that's always been the biggest thing is our community. I can feel the passion that you have for climbing. And it is really fun and quite the workout. 
tried it a few times and I really did like it, although I got a bit nervous at the top. (laughs) (laughs) Now take us back to when you bought the gym. You were pretty young. Yeah, I bought it when I was 23. I was running the outdoor store in town and the guy that owned the gym prior to me, he came to me one day and he's like, hey, you're gonna buy my gym. And I was like, oh my God, am I? I don't know anything about this sort of thing. He saw my passion and desire to share climbing with people. And, you know, it was his time to kind of move along and it was his passion project. He put so much time and energy into building and starting this gym way back in 1996. And he saw the potential in me and really wanted me to take it to the next level. And John, if you're listening to this, I really hope that I've lived up to your expectations and taken the gym where you wanted to see it go. Now, by the sounds of it, he would be proud, Jonathan. So now, should we go back a bit in time and talk about the pandemic? We had to close our doors for about three months in March of 2020. It was a really difficult time. Scary, obviously, for lots of small businesses. We reopened in June of 2020 and obviously went through various waves of different restrictions and how we had to do things. Do you feel you were starting over? Yeah. We basically had to like reinvent how we ran our business, like starting from scratch again. The climbing gyms all across British Columbia, we all kind of tightened up and started working together really well. And that was just a really beautiful benefit, you know, that connection that we were able to make with other gyms. You know, there's always challenging aspects to stuff Mm -hmm. like this, but there's always those little diamonds that pop out as well, too. And, you know, we're able to to take that forward and have a lot of gratitude for it. Mm You spoke earlier about the climbing community that you've created, but can you paint the scene of the climbing industry? Climbing has always just been that inclusive place. When climbing started to become a popular-ish thing back in the 1950s, everyone that climbed was a bit of an outlaw or the weirdos, the people at the edge of society that didn't really fit in. And therefore, they banded together. So... You know, it's continued to this day that climbers take care of each other, and it's really incredible. Now, what is your process when someone new comes in your doors? How do you build that sense of community? We never push anybody. And with climbing, it's like we just let people kind of trickle in at their own pace. You don't have to be good right away. You don't have to push yourself right away. And I think what really helps is that it's just so fun that you kind of forget about the aspect that maybe there's some fear involved or, you know, you're not feeling like you're good enough. And it's kind of a meditative activity because you have to be truly in the moment. In many ways, you're also building in that mindfulness to be in the moment, as you said. And what a way to help people push their own personal limits. Yeah. In doing that, you get somebody on the wall that might have fear or that might not want to do it right off the bat, but you just can't help but get into that place where you're just really present and I think people really thrive once they get to that place and it's not something that a lot of people get to experience in our busy 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 lives is that place of quiet and presence people always think I'm an adrenaline junkie because I'm doing all of these extreme sports but for me like climbing for example that's the most peaceful I am when I'm on the wall Everything else fades away. I'm not thinking about bills I have to pay. I'm not thinking about anything in my life. I'm just right there. I'm doing the thing. 
So with bringing kids into the gym that don't necessarily fit with the other things, they're able to like find that little piece of that feeling when you are present and you're in the moment and you're doing the thing. And it's easy to find success right off the bat. You know, success means being able to do one step further than you did last time. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean doing the hardest climb in the world. And it doesn't necessarily even mean getting to the top of the wall. And you can feel that and you can find that success when you've figured out a move or two moves or three moves or whatever it is. I'm sure you have many examples of how people have overcome fear, but there's also so much in the way of research that connects physical activity to mental well-being and that being active can help us in so many ways. So I have an example of this. A woman I went to high school with, little did I know, her son has been going to one of the alternate schools in Nanaimo. People that struggle with ADHD or other mental illnesses or things like that, we get lots of these kids coming into the gym. And this woman, her son, she's tried to put him in every other sport and he's just never really fit, never really known how to like get along with the other kids or the boisterousness of the hockey bros or whatever it is. And he came in with this school group. Now she says he's just so lit up. Every time he thinks about climbing, he wants to get a job at the climbing gym. He wants to be there all the time. And he's gone from a kid that didn't want to be at school, didn't want to do anything, to having motivation and excitement in his life. And that came from him coming into the gym. And I, I remember him actually, you know, being a little bit resistant the first few times, but then just being in that atmosphere and seeing other people try and succeed and eventually he was just in it himself. And that's the thing too that is so incredible is people are so encouraging. It doesn't matter who you are, you can be your first time in the gym on the easiest route in the gym and there'll be another climber in that same area, maybe on the next rope over they'll end up cheering you on, you know, or you succeed and you're excited. It's just like people are congratulating you. It's just like that infectiousness of this activity and what we all experience inside when we do it. Everybody feels it. So then everybody just gets excited. And that's part of that inclusivity. And people feel that right away. It's just like, oh my God, like this random person is like high-fiving me because I did something that felt good to me, even though maybe they're like a professional climber or something like that, right? And that kind of feeling is just so good. Anyway. <laughs> that speaks volumes to how important it is to connect to the activity you're doing to stay physically active. And I think it's amazing that there are boxing gyms, climbing gyms, yoga studios, Pilates, just so many options now for people to find something that clicks. And that story makes it real. So thank you for sharing, Jonathan. I'm incredibly passionate about that because this story that I tell could have been my own story when I was younger or essentially was my own story. I tried playing hockey. I tried playing soccer. I tried doing a bunch of different team sports. And I just really didn't feel like I belonged in a lot of sport. You have to become good before you start getting those accolades and people respecting you. It didn't matter how good I was. Like I got MVP of the year one year when I played hockey and I still was teased by the other players and all the parents that wanted their kids to go to the NHL, you know, they put so much pressure on their kids that it just like stops being fun. And climbing gave me that place to have that fun, to feel good, to, to build that self-confidence. So I'm very grateful. Thank you, both of you 
and all the best with your climbing space. It sounds like a model every community could use. Research shows that the market for health and wellness products and services is growing by 5 to 10% each year, depending on the region. Now, the COVID-19 pandemic has spurred the shift toward personalized at-home workouts and made overall wellness even more salient. Fitness tech apps raised a record-breaking $2 billion from investors in 2020. In 2019, just before the pandemic, the fitness industry hit an estimated $96.7 billion. In 2023, revenue is estimated to be around $81.5 billion. But the industry is growing again and is expected to reach or exceed the 2019 peak. A big part of the industry? Fitness books. The worth of the global book publishing industry is $109.3 billion U.S. Now, Canada's book publishing industry amounted to around $1.7 billion U.S., and this goes back to 2021. So we head back to Andy Dumas to talk about his writing journey, maybe inspiring some new writers. Now, how did your entrepreneurial journey get you into writing? Going back about 20 years ago, having taught many classes and been to classes. And again, I talked about wanting to get inspired. It was kind of a novelty for me because there wasn't a lot of male instructors. And this is when Step started. So that's, boy, dating myself on that one. Okay, let's march it out. One, two, three, four, five, six, step side to side. You know, and you go to these classes and you go, okay. And so when I started teaching, there was a novelty. Oh, let's go to the guy's class. Let's see what you could do. Love it. My theory was that you should be able to go to any class and feel like you've accomplished something. Yeah. So it's participant oriented as opposed to instructor oriented and being able to follow. And for the development of the boxing, I would do these workshops and we would write these little fitness manuals just on the basics, how to throw a jab, how to slip a punch, how to do all this kind of stuff. And I've written many of these books with my wife, Jamie. We met through fitness and she has a kinesiology degree. And I went, you know, there's a book here instead of these doing little 20 page handouts that we had. Her background is ballet. So talk about a strange mix, ballet and boxing. So together we wrote the first book based again on taking the principles of boxing and making it palatable for mainstream fitness. And that was the first book in 2002. And I never wanted to repeat myself. So unless I could improve on it and make it better. And so we just thought we can do the photography better. We have more drills that we can include and a better way to teach it. So each time we did another book, we wanted to add to it and make it more interesting and more fun. So we're up to book number eight now. It's amazing. And at the same time, such a creative outlet for you. Yes. And through this journey and my friendship with the WBC, which is the World Boxing Council, it allowed me to eventually meet people that I grew up watching, like champions like Sugar Ray Leonard. Cut right by Leonard. A cut right. And Evander Holyfield. I met Muhammad Ali two or three times. And oh my God, to be able to hang with these people and interview these people and talk about their training aspect. So in later books, we got to incorporate these interviews and talk to these champions on how they trained and their mentality behind training. And the beautiful thing about the Rocky movies is when you get knocked down, you gotta get back up and you gotta keep punching, you gotta keep moving forward. So that's the most amazing thing that's come out of this, me being able to spend time with these incredible world champions and to be able to write these with my wife, Jamie, as well, too, has been phenomenal. So it's been a great journey. Is Inside the Ropes your latest one? Yes, Inside the Ropes is the latest book. 
If you're a boxing fan, you'll love Inside the Ropes. The thing was, I met a photographer years ago, Naoki Fukuda, who took the most incredible photographs ringside I'd ever seen and in training. And I approached him for one of my fitness books. And I thought, what would it cost to get the rights to use maybe 20 photos in my book as I talk about champions? And he said, you can use as many shots as you... He, he gave me full access to his archive. That's amazing. That is unheard of. And so I wanted to do something with him. But I thought, why would he need me if he's going to do a photo book with his incredible photos? Until I started interviewing boxers and I, had a, I developed an archive of spending time with these champions. So finally, my writing was up to the quality of his photographs. So this is a culmination of his photos and my writing. And that was one that took a long time to get going, but I'm very proud of it. Yeah, that's got to feel good. And I think the chance to tell your story and to tell other people's stories, it's very rewarding to have that opportunity in life. Absolutely. And full of quotes from real champions. And again, the philosophy about you get knocked down, you get back up, and you find a way to win and keep going. And that's why these are my favorite athletes. I love tennis. I love other sports. But something about a boxer is just a whole different category for me, you know. <laughs> Well, and I think what you just said there too, Andy, so many businesses, the small business, the backbone of this country can identify with. You get knocked down and you get back up again. And you get knocked down again as a small business and you get back up again. And that's what eventually I think leads to success, that ability and that perseverance with whatever you're doing. Exactly. Anything else that you want to add in the sense of the industry, the community that it builds before we wrap up today? Again, these gyms have to be innovative, giving classes that people want to try. And it's the coach and trainer experience. So if you have the coaches and the trainers, the facility will take care of itself. And I just am so happy that we're back and we're training in gyms and doing these classes together. So let's never go backwards again. Through hard work, creativity, perseverance, and true dedication to health and well-being, many Canadian community businesses are working hard to get back on their feet. So thank you, Sam, Jonathan and Brianna, and Andy, for your stories and insight. Now head out the door. There's an amazing fitness opportunity for you to explore. And thank you to all the people in our communities who nominated them for Amplify Canada. Each episode of Amplify Canada, we introduce you to a local musician, and I'm always excited for Canadian music. But today, especially so, Canadian country music legend Terry Clark is here. Terry was born in Montreal until her family moved to Medicine Hat, Alberta, so she says she's an Albertan. She's released 12 studio albums, one live album, three compilation albums, 27 music videos, and 43 singles. How's that for a CV? Amazing, Terry, and what a way to leave a mark. Well, I think there's something to be said for striving to put out good product and something that you're proud of to leave behind. A body of work is something that will live on beyond your lifetime. So any album I've ever made or anything I've ever done, I've never gone into it halfway, and I think that's part of it. But you also have to be okay being present in the moment and where you're at in your career as well as striving to take new opportunities and try different things. I think it's always important to branch out and not be afraid of the failure if you try something new. I mean, that's the chance you take is that it may not succeed. I also give a lot of credit to fans and having a great fan base who have always been like loyal to the core and supportive along the way. And there isn't anything better and more loyal than a country music fan. 
What are your thoughts on touring now in the post-COVID world? It's been a little more challenging since COVID and since going back out on the road. So, you know, I think just letting things kind of simmer for this summer and taking a little time and hopefully it'll correct itself. But the airline situation last summer was pretty brutal. It's tougher to find personnel. And there's been a lot of difficulty for a lot of artists that aren't playing stadiums and taking out the 30 buses that they are. So, you know, everyone on the inside of the industry saying it'll correct itself. Either way, I'm not going to quit over it. I loved the congratulatory video that circulated with every big name in country music and beyond congratulating you on the Canadian Country Music Hall of Fame recognition, including Reba McIntyre, whom you toured with. How was that? Oh, it was unbelievable. So I was in her fan club when I was a kid, and I've actually done two tours with her, but the last one was in... 2003, so quite a long time ago, and this time, it's kind of like the nostalgia tour. She was just selling out arenas and the Hollywood Bowl and Madison Square Garden, and I got to play these venues with her that are so iconic, and they're those bucket list venues as an artist that you always want to be able to say you played, and now I can, and so I'm grateful for that, and and she and I also reconnected, and I've always considered her a friend, but you know, over the years... Just because you do the same thing for a living doesn't mean you stay in touch constantly and and things dwindle over time, but we've rekindled our friendship and she's just such a fabulous human being, always has been. And it was a wonderful touring experience, a great experience on a personal level and just inspiring to watch this woman who's almost 70 years old still out there doing what she's doing. She's such a trailblazer for people like me and any other woman in in the country music industry or any woman in any genre, really. She's a force to be reckoned with. And so are you, Terry. You've been doing the music scene a long time and you make Canada proud. Do you recall the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio? Yes. I was in Abiquiu, New Mexico, because that's where we were shooting the video for Better Things to Do, and we visited the program director at the station in Abiquiu, and nobody had played it yet. It hadn't charted yet. In fact, I don't even think that the single was out yet. That was back before you shot videos, before the single even came out, because CMT was all over videos, and I believe we were shooting the video, and he said, go back to your hotel room and turn on our station at 7 o'clock or whatever it was that night and I will play it. And he played it, and I was all by myself in my hotel room, jumping on the bed, and my head took out one of those ceiling tiles. It was an amazing moment, and whenever I hear anything on the radio, I get so excited about it. It never gets old. I think we all feel that way. Well, let's relive that moment with Terry Clark. Here's Better Things to Do. Don't tell me the reason that you're calling It's to see if I'm
was Better Things to Do. You can find Terry Clark at terryclark.com and on Spotify or anywhere you get your music. You've been listening to Amplify Canada, an initiative created by Pattison Media, designed to celebrate and elevate small businesses, the backbone of our communities. For more information on this program, go to pattisonmedia.com. This is a presentation of Pattison Media. Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com, a division of Pattison Media. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast.